we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where we sneak into the back alleys and down deep into the sewers of schlock, mm. collecting spicy specimens of sex and violence for our pleasure. Mm. Yes, 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 indeed. Please. I'm yeah. always up for some sex and violence. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes I need a mellow day, but most days, yeah, a little sex, it's a little like violence. Salt, it's like salt, salt and pepper, you know, to taste. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> to taste in both cases. Yeah, a good mixture of the two does the tummy right. My name is Orlando, and I'm joined by my guest, co-host, and roommate, Ned. How goes it, Ned? Goes pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, you know, just, uh... Enjoying, enjoying my full tummy. I'm so stuffed. We we just feasted on some amazing New York style Chinese food. Mm-hmm. That we did from uh, the best spot in our neighborhood. I mean, if you guys out there in the world, in the country, in China, even you you don't even know how good Chinese food is in New York City. It's like <laughs> one of those things that. Oh yeah. There's just nothing like it. Yeah. There's. It's like I I feel like. Uh, you know, because I've, I've moved around to a few different neighborhoods in my time here, and, you know, there are so many different Chinese restaurants, so, so like, I always have to shop around. But, like, oh, yeah. every single neighborhood definitely has one spot yep. that's really, really fucking yep. good. Uh, and then the rest are, you know, okay. usually more a matter of convenience. Right. Um, you know, open hours, or they deliver, mm-hmm. or something like that. So, uh, you know, you have to you have to work for it a little bit. So, it's usually the best one is the one you have to work for. So, a shout bit. out to Empire Szechuan Garden for providing the catering for tonight's episode. Absolutely, they <laughs> they provided nothing. We paid them handsomely, <laughs> as well as they deserve. But uh, but I think for this episode, it's 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 a fitting choice for mm-hmm. our feast. Yes, because we're watching Big Trouble in Little China. Yes! Which is a 1986 American dark fantasy martial arts comedy film directed by John Carpenter. One of our faves. Mm-hmm. And starring Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, and the legendary James Hong. The film tells the story of Jack Burton, who helps his friend Wang Chi rescue Wang's fiance from bandits in San Francisco's Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen this movie before? Uh, I've seen it like once or twice, like back in the undergrad days. So it's been a while. My memory of it is a little hazy, mm-hmm. uh, but um, I the thing I remember like that sticks out to me the most of of the few details I can grasp are Kurt Russell's absurdly hilarious performance and this his is... weird catchphrases that he throws out throughout the movie, and I'm really excited. This to might be Kurt Russell's finest performance? Question mark. 
not knowing too much of his work, I'm I'm willing to give that the benefit of the doubt just because of how weird and good and goofy he is. It's, yeah, it's crazy. And we've um, obviously we've watched um, John Carpenter movies. Yeah. Quite often on this podcast because mm-hmm. he's uh, he's one of my favorite directors. He's he's great. His movies are always a ton of fun. And we saw one which had Kurt Russell before the thing. Yep. Um, and him and and uh, and John and John Carpenter, they made several movies together. They uh, they seem to really like working with each other. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I feel like so he kind of he kind of fits in pretty well with Carpenter's general sort of schlocky aesthetic. A right. Bit. I think we talked about it a little bit that like even in the movie They Live, like you know we uh, we could envision um, right. That's uh, a Kurt role that playing. made for Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, although, of course, the performance we got... Roddy, is, Pi- is, Roddy Piper was great. Yeah, it, great in his own way. <laughs> um, but yeah, because it, it, it has like... It, it's like that leading man manliness, gravitas, you know, that... Yeah, a little grungy, a uh, mm-hmm. little cynical, you know. But then it has this whole other, like, goofy, off-kilter side to it, too, which Kurt Russell, in the 80s, he was sort of like the king of, I think. Yeah, he definitely... That. Yeah, he definitely... Yeah, he definitely brings uh, a decent amount of uh, self-awareness mm-hmm. to his performances that I think really works pretty well. And maybe, like, his performance in Escape from New York is technically more iconic as a Snake Plissken. Yeah. But for my book, like, this is probably the quintessential Russell Carpenter collaboration. Nice. Uh, I'm I mean, excited. It's it's a fun movie. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to also, like, talk about this and see how problematic it is because it is about Chinatown. It takes place in Chinatown and it, it features a lot of uh, Asian-American actors, but it also traffics in a lot of Asian American tropes. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of those kind of tropes and and a lot of stereotypes in there for sure. So um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting one to watch mm-hmm. um, on those fronts. We have talked again in the context of the two movies or the three movies now that we've seen of uh, John Carpenter. We have talked about how Carpenter. Uh, Compared to other directors of his day, he did seem, in my mind, to kind of go out of his way to have more diverse casting, at least, in, in his movies. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to me, like, this movie, like, well, in what ways is, does it accomplish that? Does it give, like, um, a, a nice platform for these type of actors who don't normally get to be leads in movies? Yeah. Like, for example, James Hong. James Hong... He's like always playing these like little bit parts in like thousands, like I, literally not thousands of movies, but I feel like he's been in thousands of he movies. He's been in a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's he has gotten himself a ton of work. For right, sure. and and to and it's great to see him play like a really prominent role in this. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what we think about that on the other side. Yeah. Definitely. Um. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even know like how what else to say. It's it's another John Carpenter movie, guys. What do you what can you expect? Yeah, we we sure. love John Carpenter. Uh, we're gonna watch this film. It's uh, now a few weeks ago it was available on Netflix, but now I checked and it's not on Netflix <gasps> anymore. No. So you have to rent it uh, if you want to watch this movie, but it's well worth the money. Yes, rent the movie. It's another John it. Carpenter movie. What do you mm-hmm. want? You know, watch the schlocky movie already. Don't do it. We're going to break now and watch the film, and then we'll be back. We'll play some trivia and discuss the movie at length. Are you ready to watch Big Trouble in Little China? Oh, as ready as I'll ever be. 
All right, here we go, guys. We'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. From the depths, we yes, we are we are back from many places, many locales, from several hells, several hells. We just watched Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. First reactions. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna start with a big wow. A lot happens. Yeah. A lot happens. It's such a packed movie. It's very packed. Um, movie. But it's so much fun. Um, I think the thing that the thing that I actually really came away from this really liking is is so so obviously as we discussed earlier in my vague recollections I remember uh, I remember Kurt Russell's big performance right but like actually the whole cast actually kind of gives an incredible big yeah. schlocky performance like it's really it's a very fan- comic booky in it's, a way it's such a fun send up of yeah. just like. You know, a little bit film noir, a <laughs> yeah. little bit like yeah, it, it 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 takes a tons of different influences mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and just and just goes balls to the mm-hmm. wall with it. Um, and and that energy really uh, really makes it a, a very charming film to watch. Um, I really had a lot of fun just seeing what an ass Jack Burton was. Right. Like, it, <laughs> it, it's actually kind of impressive. Like, what a, what, yeah. What, like, yeah, I think Jack Burton is just one of my favorites. He's just so clueless and <laughs> and talks the biggest game and has nothing to show for it time and time again. Um, it's really impressive. Um, the comedy, uh, the yeah, the, there's just so much great physical comedy so much great fighting um and it's crazy that like we've uh we've seen i think like movies that are supposed to be action movies you know schlocky action movies and and one of our complaints is and and we'll of course talk more about the action here in a second but one of the our complaints is that it always seems like they just don't give any effort, you know, like either, either the choreography is yeah. kind of lacking or or just like the performances aren't in it. Yeah. But this one is just like a joy. Yeah, that's the thing. There's just like there's there's a real energy to this one and there's a ton of investment. Um, and uh, and that definitely comes through, especially in the fight sequences. Mm-hmm. I, I think that sometimes the fight sequences felt a little too send y for me. Like, like really, like almost every single fight sequence definitely had a bit of a, a bit of a, I guess you could say a bit of a comedic finish to right. it, I guess you yeah. could say. And, and, and so I would have liked to have seen like a little, a, a little less of that comedic mm-hmm. sheen and, and a little more devotion to like, actually doing some of the crazy feats that we see. Right. Um, especially, like, when we get to the scene where uh, Wang 
and uh, one of the storms are like you know flying through mm-hmm. the air and doing the sword fighting next to each other, and it's like yeah, we get it. They're doing like a they're doing a, a you know a, a a funny comedic thing that's right. obviously meant to look kind of low budget and stuff like that. So like those moments are fine because obviously that's like sending up like a very specific like trope of kung fu films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have liked to have seen a little more. You know, uh, a, a, little, a little more of the serious side of the fighting, just a little bit, but not that much. Like, because because all of the all of the acrobatics are still incredibly impressive, mm-hmm. and uh, and and definitely a lot of great fun twists that happen throughout the fights that sort of continue to keep it interesting. Um, Kim Cattrall, so great. Oh, um, right. She just like, yeah, she just completely has Jack's number beat yeah. for beat as Gracie Law. Kim Cattrall, I've, um, I've always been a fan of her. She's, she's yeah, an underrated yeah. actress, I think. Yeah, definitely. No, she she really kicks some serious ass in this movie. Um, we'll talk more about her, too. We'll talk more about this movie in general. There's a lot to talk about because this is like yeah. one of my, not, I mean, John, we've said uh, time and time again, John Carpenter is one of my favorite filmmakers, and this is definitely one of my favorite John Carpenter films. Yeah. So, but before we actually get delve too deep into the discussion. Let's play some Big Trouble in Little China trivia. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, there's a lot to unpack in this movie. So yeah, let's that's get to thing. it. Like, you know, I, I feel myself a little bit like, I'm feeling a little bit the way I did after Tank Girl. Uh-huh. A little bit like that just, I, there was so much going on. There is and, and I think this movie was better paced than Tank Girl. Definitely. Um, for the, For the most part. But that's actually a pretty good comparison, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the more I the more I thought about that comparison, I was like, oh yeah, actually this is good to bring up. Um, so so I would say that this one is definitely more more well paced, mm-hmm. but by the same token, so much happens. So yeah. so I I do feel a bit of that post movie exhaustion again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> from from just kind of trying to trying to sort through everything that just happened. Um, the crazy thing so, is, like, I feel like when you, when you, this is a little tangent here, but talking about movies that exhaust you, yeah. you know, like, modern movies that exhaust you are always, like, two and a half hours long, I yeah. feel. Like, you got, like, all the, all the DC movies, are those are exhausting. Like, yeah, a little bit. I, I barely even, I, I haven't even, I, I think the only real DC movie that I've seen is, like, the, the first Superman Man of Steel. Man of Steel. That was a pretty exhausting movie. Yeah, it was. Batman vs. Superman. And I think that's as good as they get, too. Another one uh, recently, well, maybe past decade that I can think of, is the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Actually, the second and the third one, uh, Dead Man's Chest and That World's End. They're just like really long, exhausting movies, right? A lot of shit happens in them, but it's not. The reason I bring those up is because, like, the. Tank Girl and this movie, they're both like an hour and a half. They're not yeah. long movies. Yeah. And yet they still feel like very complete <laughs> and stuffed to the brim movies. Yeah, definitely. It's like you don't you don't need to have a long movie to fit a lot in, you know? Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um so um, before you forget the details. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> let's let's do this. Let's get this down on paper. As always, the quiz is going to be five questions and a bonus. The questions will go in order from least difficult to most difficult, and the grand prize is a bragging rights. Mhm. Mhm. Question number 1. Yes. How does Jack knock himself out before the final battle? <laughs> he uh, he aims his gun at the ceiling mm-hmm. and shoots into the little arch right above him, causing stones to uh, 
to knock himself in the head. He shoots part of the archway onto his head. Yep. Correct! <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like, I think uh, there's, there's a, a, a lot to talk about in terms of, like, you know, in terms of, like, uh, a stereotypical uh, perception, uh, portrayal of, of uh, Chinese culture and stuff right. like that in this movie. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna borrow, uh, I'm gonna borrow, a, 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 you know, half of a take that I saw on Twitter about this, that, um, that I think there's a lot to discuss about that. Um, but one of the things that is kind of interesting is that like Jack Burton, our, our one sort of like white hero right. character, really is completely out of his depth. Like yeah. profoundly out of his depth. And and the movie really makes no bones about like being clear that he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. And um and and sort of how much he has to depend on everyone else around him. Um I think that's one of the things that makes this movie yeah. kind of stand the test of time is that you know, most, I mean, there's only a handful of white characters, period. Most of the people in the movie are Asian American actors. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, Jack Burton is kind of like a, I don't know, like a tourist in the movie, in a way. He's kind yeah, of- very much so. He's like, <laughs> like, that's the thing, is that, like, really, in a way, like, the hero of the movie is Wang Shi. Like, yeah, right. He, like, it's actually his movie. He's the one who's propelling the action yeah. forward. Um, Jack, not so much. It's it's almost kind of like Mad Max, in a way, right. in terms of, like... Uh, uh, Furiosa, yeah, Furiosa being the kind of the the, the actual one mm-hmm. to drive the to drive the action of the film, I lo- and that's one of the things I love about the movie. John Carpenter actually envisioned the film as an inverse of traditional scenarios in action films, uh, with a Caucasian protagonist helped by a minority sidekick. He wanted to inverse that expectation and have Jack Burton, despite his bravado, uh, as consistently consistently being portrayed as rather bumbling, while Wang Chi, on the other hand, is consistently portrayed as highly skilled and competent. Uh, In fact, in the DVD commentary for this movie, John Carpenter jokingly says that Kurt Russell's character is the hero of the movie, but other than killing Lo Pan and saving Wang when he shoots the guard, he's more of a sidekick throughout the entire film. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I like that. I like that a lot. It's a, it's I, a nice expect, uh, like you know, uh, what is it? Subversion, subversion yeah. of the expectation. Yeah, I agree with that definitely. Here comes question number two. Mm-hmm. Which 1865 novel does Margot, the journalist, compare the underworld of San Francisco Chinatown to? Um, it's a very apt comparison, I thought. Oh God, I completely missed that. <laughs> I completely missed that, and 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 I have very poor reference, like frames of reference for time prior to like the 1900s. Like, you can't even think of like what 1865 novel it could possibly be. She 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 uses it to describe the under the the. She describes the un, the China Chinatown underworld China to this underworld. novel. She says it's like blank. Um. Well, eighteen sixty-five. Mm, God, I'm 
not a book person. I'm not a book person. I'm not cultured. Um, hmm. They've made several movies out of this also, including a animated Disney movie in the 1950s. Oh, man. <laughs> the folks at home are just... Yeah, no, this is painful. <laughs> the, uh, I, I, I apologize, listeners. Uh, this is very painful. Um, I... Honestly, I honestly have no clue. All right. So no, I'm, I'm going to yeah, yeah, I can't I can't even give an answer. All right. No problem. So the answer <laughs> is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Oh, my God. Yes. Now I remember her mentioning it. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. Which I actually... 1865. I actually hadn't thought of it until this question. I mean, I knew that it was 1865, but I hadn't actually thought about how... Oh, so this that, that was actually published during the American Civil War. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that is... That is very... Yeah. That That's... I don't know. I don't know what year I thought that book right. was published yeah. in. It's an old book. It is an old book. It stood the test of time, though. I guess, still yeah. Very somehow, popular. somehow I thought it was a 20th century novel, but yeah. it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. not. Really. And, of course, the book portrays Alice's adventure as she falls down a rabbit hole and goes underground to this subterranean underworld yeah. known as Wonderland. Uh, where she meets a lot of zany characters. And a lot of, yeah, a lot of characters. A lot lot of of nonsense. A lot of nonsense. Nothing makes sense. And this is pretty much, yeah, this is like Jack Burton's adventures in Wonderland. A little bit, yeah. yeah, He really is tumbling. (laughs) He really is tumbling through a lot of this movie. He is. Um, Downwards, usually, as well. Uh, We meet, not only do we meet, like, a lot of fantastical personalities and and, uh, humans, um, but we also meet a lot of fantastical creatures in this film. There's a lot of great creature work. Yeah, I forgot about the creature work mm-hmm. and, and the creature design. Um, yeah, the, brings back a, a fair amount of uh, of uh, society vibes. Right, yeah. A little bit, especially bit with the, the eye. Floaty, the floaty yeah, eye. the floaty eye guy. In fact, the, that was one of the most difficult effects to achieve, the floating eyeball, which was a spy for Lopan. It was powered by several puppeteers and dozens of cables to control the facial expressions. It was shot with a special matting system specially designed for it, too. Well, there you go. That's the work. Putting in the work. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to the next question. Number three. Uh, Oh, my lord. Okay, one for two. One for two. I know. This is going to be tough. Now I'm a little scared. I'm like... Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah, this does not bode well. Uh, What is the name of the brothel that the kidnappers take Miao Yin to? Oh, uh... White Tiger. Correct! There it's the go. White Tiger! We're back! We're back! <laughs> Everything's okay, folks! Don't worry! It's okay! <laughs> uh, Miao Yin's name roughly translates to cat-like. Okay. And it's interesting because she has, like, you know, the green eyes, and they take her to the White Tiger. Yeah. It's a nice little stretching of the metaphor there, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's also, I feel like, you know, we talk about how, and we'll talk about this a little bit more here in a second, but we talk about how John Carpenter loves putting Western tropes in his movies, and I feel like this is a really good example of that. And a brothel, that's kind of a Western trope too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, certainly uh, there, there is, I think... Um, 
there, yeah, it is playing a little bit into uh, into a Chinese stereotype about Chinese brothels a yeah. little bit as well, for sure, right. uh, and especially with like a madam proprietor. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, also also definitely a Western uh, one as well. Here yeah. comes question number four, coming right at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much does Wang bet Jack he can cut a beer bottle in half with a cleaver? Um, it's uh, it's it's a double or nothing bet mm -hmm. on one thousand one hundred and four dollars. <gasps> You're so close! Oh no! Wait. Mm. You're so close. Okay. Um, I almost want to give you a partial credit for it. Okay. Okay. Wait. Can I? Can I take a second guess? Sure. The yeah. double, I'm gonna do double, double or nothing. nothing. One thousand. Nothing or double, Jack. Okay, it's <laughs> nothing or double. Nothing or double. Um, one thousand one hundred forty. Closer. Ah! <laughs> okay, fine. That's fine. It's, I'll take the partial. It's one thousand one hundred and forty-eight dollars. Oh, oh, because oh, it's the one, the one, the two, then it's two, four, four, mm. eight. Oh. <laughs> I could have done it. I could have done it. I could have figured it out, but I didn't. I almost wanted, uh, I mean, I know that that nah, was... that's fine. I know that that's, that sequence was setting up the all in the reflexes gag, which is a great gag. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but I kind of wanted them to pay off the beer bottle too I thought especially like the first few times I saw the movie I was like I wonder why he never like does, uses the, yeah pulls the trick off I feel like the movie's kind of setting that up but yeah you'd think you'd think but uh you know those expectations will be subverted as <laughs> as John Carpenter is wont to do that is true alright so oh, I'll give you half a point for that that's fine so 2.5 out of 2.5 out of 4 okay, okay here comes question number 5 Oh boy. Oh boy. You do need to get this well, question. I'm fighting for my life for here. For bragging rights. This is a toughie. Which god does Lopan want to sacrifice Miao Yin to in order to regain his youth? Oh shit. Oh shit. They do mention him quite often. No. In the movie. Of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. Wait, uh, ask me the question one more time. Which god. Does Lo Pan want to sacrifice Miao Yin to in order to regain his youth? Oh god. I'm I'm blanking on the name, but I believe that but I believe that it's something something god of the east. I was looking for the name though. The name, yeah, just looking for the name. Um yeah, no, I, I couldn't hold on. I couldn't hold on to that one. Ching Dai. Ching Dai. Ching Dai. Ching Dai. I, I, am, I, I am having zero recollection of it, in <laughs> spite of the fact that clearly it's been said throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah. Though they're always mentioning the sacrifice to Ching Dai. Damn it. Damn it. Uh, the Brides oh. of Lopan must have green eyes. But... Kim Cattrall and Susie Pai, who played Miao Ying, both have brown eyes in real life. Okay. So they both wore contacts for the movie. Now, 
If you pay attention in the high definition version of the movie, which we just saw during close-ups of their faces, you can actually tell that they're wearing contacts. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, during the like really close shots of their eyes, I, I felt like, yeah, I could kind of see a bit of a different color peeking yeah. through. I wasn't sure if that was like a burst blood vessel or something right. like that. Maybe, they're so scared. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, or you know, high under stress a spell situation. or something like that. Um, but, uh, so that's interesting. Yeah, I guess that's just just the, uh, the contacts mm -hmm. partially obscuring. All right, so you got 2.5 out of five yeah it's like yeah halfway there halfway there halfway but there not, not enough for bragging rights no so you gotta I, have the bonus in order to get bragging rights yeah i really do so I, let's see let's see what you do I with really this do. bonus oh these details these details so we got three magical sorcerers that kind of are lopan's henchmen right we yes. got rain thunder and lightning yeah. right so this question is about them. Now we're also moving a little way away from the world of the film. So it's actually about a video game. Okay. So let's see if uh, you know. I know Rain, that you, I know that you're a big video gamer right here. Oh and, boy! Oh you know, boy! You know a lot of video game history. Not to put you on the spot or anything. Yeah, no. This is uh, probably still not going to end up good. <laughs> it's not so, going to end up well for me. But uh, let's let's do this. The question is. Which classic video game was partly inspired by this movie's portrayal of Chinese sorcery, specifically The Three Storms? Um, can I get a year of publication for the game? The year of publication is 1992. 92. Hmm. 92, so it would have been early 90s, so... It's... Is it part of a larger franchise? Yes, a, a larger franchise that persists to this day. Okay. In multiple formats, actually. Okay. But but that's not uh, that and, and that's not to say that this video game is the first game of this franchise. It might not have been, right? Or is that, uh, is that is that's that, probably too okay, much to too give much info. away? Okay, I I, I apologize. <laughs> I'm taking as much as I can get to assist me in this. Um, hmm, a '92 game inspired by Big Trouble in Little China specifically, and specifically their portrayal of the Three Storms. Mm -hmm. Partly inspired. Partly inspired. Ooh. Okay, uh, this is this is a bad guess. This okay. is just a bad guess. I'm gonna guess that it's the uh, the Bioware RPG Jade Empire. I'm guessing that it's wrong. I'm guessing that game came out later than '92. Yeah, that is not the correct answer. Yeah, the correct answer is Mortal Kombat. Oh shit. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So the film's portrayal of the lightning sorcerer demigod character has been described as an inspiration for the character Royden in Mortal Kombat, introducing the archetype of a straw hat wearing monk able to control lightning with his hands to Western audiences. Ooh. Additionally, the character David Lopan 
has been credited as the original inspiration for the soul-stealing Mortal Kombat villain Shang Tsung. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I actually have I have my Super uh, Nintendo right here next to me. Nice. And I actually have the original Mortal Kombat game. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. You know, truth be told, um, I have pretty much almost never played Mortal Kombat. Mm. Like in I've any played- iteration. Yeah, basically most iterations. Aside from one or two times in an arcade here or there. um, That's how it was originally released. Yeah, exactly. Um, For me, uh, my parents were during my early childhood were very restrictive of violent content for me so mortal kombat so mortal kombat was just a flat out you are not playing this game mm-hmm. game for me uh yeah, it's so, M, so. yeah exactly <laughs> so so as i so yeah as i you know as i got more and more into video games for most of my life i just never Never strayed, never ventured to Mortal Kombat, so I know little to nothing about it. Annihilate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, I remember uh, I, I had a birthday recently at uh, at a local barcade uh, in town, and... Um, yeah, uh, one of my one of my party guests uh, definitely viciously kicked my ass when <laughs> when he and I, he was like, "Yeah, let's play Mortal Kombat." I was like, "Okay, great. This is gonna be a lot of fun." And I literally could not land a single hit on it. Did he any just... of you play Royden in that? No, I don't think so. I always thought Royden was pretty cool. I liked how he shoots like lightning and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool character. Definitely. Dope. Really dope. All right, so unfortunately, no. you did not get any bragging rights in I that quiz. I, yeah, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to brag. Not about this movie. But it's still an enjoyable movie. Still a ton of fun. Happy, um, to, happy to have seen it regardless. John Carpenter and Kurt Russell explain on the audio commentary for the DVD again that the test screening was so overwhelmingly positive that they both expected it to be a big hit. However, as is often the case, again, with most John Carpenter movies, it was released to very little critical and commercial anything. (laughs) Humdrum, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 20th Century Fox put little into promoting the movie, and it ended up being a box office bomb. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so I guess that so so that's this this recurring pattern in Carpenter's career that his movies don't seem to necessarily do that well commercially right. initially. Halloween being the exception, Halloween made a ton of money. Yeah, and then like he struggled to make any more money. The but rest that, of his but, but that's interesting that I guess a part of that was like lack of promotion by the studio. So yeah. is that is that usually been the case that well, like, in the fact, studio generally fails to like back his movies with the marketing it needs this was his last hollywood movie because he went back to making independent movies after this because he was so unhappy with the way that the studio treated his movie yeah and part of the reason like they speculate is that it is because it was a heavily asian american cast and they Mm. were they didn't know how to promote it yeah. Uh, they didn't know, you know, was it a comedy? Was it an action movie? Is it a martial arts movie? Who are promoting it to? And that the main character is like a, you know, he's basically a sidekick. So they basically just like didn't promote it. Hmm. Man. But oh, the movie did yeah. become a huge cult hit on the home video market. Good. 
this is good. Yeah. And deservedly so. And deservedly so. It's a great movie. I think, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorites, like I said. Yeah, definitely. Let's go into the first of our GSV segments. This one's called... Shots, 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 shots. We're talking about the gratuitous violence in this movie. Yes. Of which there is quite a bit. Tons. Tons of violence. How many deaths do you think are in this film? You know, I, I, I was thinking about this because, mm-hmm. like, in a way, I think martial arts films can actually be particularly challenging to right. to name the body counts because sometimes it's a little ambiguous because of the how much hand to hand combat there is. Yeah, it's tough to tell whether whether you've got a death on your hands or just a knockout. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's like could be a lot of knockouts, but also depending on the skill of the fighters or if they're just you know no holds barred or if there are other weapons involved it's like oh no it's kind of tough to tell who who got killed and who didn't so i have no fucking clue i feel like the trend though that i've noticed is that if you're down for the count and you don't get up and we don't see you get up we can rightfully assume that you're dead Hmm, maybe i think i think at least i i think that that's how they're factoring a lot of these like Hmm. sites are Factory I don't know. Bit. I don't know. I, I I I would challenge it. I would challenge it. But for this movie, um, it feels like just just if if we're going with that, and mm-hmm. and we're gonna go based on the sheer volume of fights and shooting and cutting and slicing and whatnot. Ooh, this is gonna be like what sixty to seventy, maybe higher than that. So your final answer? I'm gonna I'm gonna, all right, I'm gonna put in the seventy to eighty range. Okay. All right. Uh, it's actually less than that. Less than that. Okay. Yeah, it's 46. 46. According to two different sites, they both agree. Okay. That's 46. Good. Uh, that's good. Uh, but yeah, but that's still, I think, a pretty healthy number. That's about, yeah, no, that's about on par with, uh, you know, Face Off, those you saw the other day. Face Off had a little, maybe like 10 more, I think, 10 more deaths. Yeah. Sounds about right. So. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, any memorable deaths in this movie or <laughs> violence, scenes of. Kicking ass. Well, memorable, memorable. I'm gonna say uh, the 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 storm. I, I'm not sure which storm this was, but the one who who raged himself into a into exploding Thunder. to death. Thunder. Yeah, his uh, his his temper was uh, quite quite fearsome. He blew himself and up. And he literally blew himself up <laughs> in both. Temper and grief, both. I guess. He was kind of like grieving the the death of Lil Pan, Lil Pan a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, a little temper, a little grief. Uh, yeah, the, the impression I got was that it was the sheer rage mm-hmm. that that did him in. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, definitely took notice of the 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 many odd angles at which arms were broken, especially in like oh, that yeah. first face off between the two uh, gangs in the street during the a lot funeral. of gnarly stunts in this movie. Yeah, a lot of gnarly stunts um, and knives through people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the death of Lopan is pretty memorable. I mean, like again, like it's set up as a joke. Yeah, yeah, with his utter failure to get him, and then and then and then the reflexes kick mm-hmm. right in, and and that's how it is. Um, right. And 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 Lopan could probably wouldn't have died at all if if uh, if we had to depend on uh, Jack's right. own initiative <laughs> to get it done. So so really, the best thing. The best thing that Lopin could have done for Jack Burton was to throw the knife at him so that his reflex. Do you could think do the that rest. Jack knows he's he's ineffective? I feel like in the movie there are times where he's like he gives himself a kind of like a knowing 
like shrug, like ugh, like the, the impression. <laughs> Come on, Jack. I, the impression that I get is that like deep in his heart of hearts, he knows. But he'll be damned if he's going to admit it right. to anybody. Yeah. Like, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think he knows. I think he, uh, yeah, I think he's aware of it. But, like, he just, he, he, he will, he will go to his grave before he, before he concedes the point. It's kind of a, an interesting, like, you know, in the 80s, the other, I, what, I wouldn't say the other, but one of our, I guess, like, the iconic 80s hero, let's put it that way, is Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones, yeah. you know, gets himself into tons of scrapes and some of them, a ton of them where he's in over his head as well. Yeah. But there's that infappable quality uh, of, of his demeanor, I guess, um, where he doesn't give up and he keeps going even though he's over his head. And then, of course, um, the character, since he's a professor, he has the intellect to kind of back up that. So I yeah. feel like Jack Burton is like the exact same character, except that he doesn't have the intellect yeah. to back it up. Exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> he, he only has his kind of patriotic truism right. and nothing else. Um, and and it's a great combination. Yeah. Um, but also, I think that like he, his heart is generally in the right place, too. Yeah. Like, he, you know, he's <clears throat> he's helping his friends. Yeah, he's helping his friends. He's helping himself too, mm-hmm. and probably he probably does look out for number one more often than not. Right, but um, but it's also clear that he's he's he he demonstrates throughout the film that he's also willing to put it on the line. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we can we can forgive him a little bit for for not, not being the most knowledgeable fellow. Certainly not. Certainly the least knowledgeable fellow, I think, of everybody else. This is the fourth of five movies that John Carpenter and Kurt Russell did together. Okay, so yeah, they've had a fruitful working relationship. Yeah, they did Elvis in 79, Mm -hmm. Escape from New York in 81, The Thing in 82, uh, Escape from L.A. in 1996, and then, of course, this one in 86. Nice. Um, Basically, Kurt Russell is doing... A John Wayne impression, yeah, the, for the entire movie. Yeah, the vocal texts are definitely John Wayne, um, and it's great, and it's really good. It's really, really good. And and again, just going back to that trope where John Carpenter he loves putting Western stuff in his movies. Yeah, definitely. And and again, I think I think it's such a great subversion too. Again, just because like you know he he really. Like the character really does embody like that that machismo mm-hmm. and that uh, or machismo mm-hmm. I should say and and the uh, and and that whole self assuredness and and kind of righteousness and indignation mm-hmm. but like he is also so clearly out of place yeah and 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 it and 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 time and time again like you know Carpenter does such a good job of putting him squarely in the middle of these situations yeah. where where it it does not serve him at all. So right. again, it's like a really really great subversion of that and 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 a great way to kind of like yeah, to 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 make effective use of of like, you know, having a brawny manly hero but then also still like you know, complete, completely turning that whole idea of of the of the white male American. It is kind of like a head. fish out of water story in a way. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, so, in fact, the story was originally written as a western. Okay, but Carpenter decided to set it in modern times. 
they even mentioned that instead of Jack Burton's truck being stolen, it was originally supposed to be his horse. Uh, <laughs> it took place in San Francisco in the 1980s, where Jack Burton rides into town, spends and spends the rest of the movie trying to get his horse back, and then they changed it to modern day, basically. Okay. Oh. Uh, John Carpenter always wanted to make a martial arts film, so he thought this would be like the perfect opportunity to do that. And he thought, well, if he updated the movie to modern day Chinatown, then he could do that and, and, and put martial arts in the movie. Okay. Um, now, Dennis Dunn, who played Wang, the martial arts sequences were not hard for him uh, because he had dabbled in training as a kid and done Chinese opera as an adult. He was drawn to the portrayal of Asian characters in this movie. And he said, and I quote, I'm seeing Chinese actors getting to do stuff that American movies usually don't let them do. I've never seen this type of role for an Asian in an American film. And I think that he did a great job, too. I thought he was, he was great in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I really liked him. Yeah, he, he, is, he is a real likable, you know, backdoor hero, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, for the movie. Right. Um, yeah. So Sets him up as the sidekick, but really he's the most competent person yeah, in the movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, very very much just, like, has a mind of his own and, and yeah, goes, goes after, you know, saving the girl, like, mm-hmm. you know, tooth and nail. Yeah. And there's a lot I want to say about, so I'll put like a little bookmark here, hopefully to remember when we get to the segment. There's a lot I want to say about um, how that quote relates to the portrayal of Chinese uh, stereotypes in general in the movie. Yeah. Um, but I will, again, save that for a couple of segments from here. Yeah, for sure. I, um, the first like real action sequence that we get is at the airport with the kidnapping itself. And I, I think, that, I mean, there's a lot of, like cla- I think, classic Carpenter in this movie. Uh, John Carpenter, of course, he loves using the the wide angle camera, yeah. and he loves the use of Steadicam. Uh, both are gr- used to great effect in this movie. Yeah. Um, but that sequence in the parking garage in the airport is one that has always stood out with me because even though the film is comedic and it is comedic, like you know, throughout the movie, that's a sequence that actually feels like really dangerous to me. And it's really kind of suspenseful, even though I've seen it time and time again. Yeah. It's pretty suspenseful. Yeah. I have to say, I think that the movie is a little bit, is a little bit strongest in the beginning. Mm. Um, Firstly, I think that um, the, uh, the, the 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 sort of cold open that the movie has with uh, Egg Shen uh-huh. um, in the lawyer's office um, is a really really effective it's opening. Very much so, um, yeah. Just uh, like sort of setting up, but it's not quite a framing device because we don't really go back to it right. at the end. But like, um, but I just I really love like the kind of sense of suspense that it draws you in with, and 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 you know like your typical like oh we're we're interviewing about it after the fact, um, and and uh, it was a nice little sort of like comedic twist to have him then like you know shoot the sparks out mm-hmm. of his hands at the very end yeah like well how do you know there's magic um and and i thought that was actually like a great little comedic button just to kind right. of be like oh yeah this is the level that this movie's operating yeah on. absolutely that, like, we're just we're gonna so we're gonna show you some absurd absurd ridiculous stuff and um and we're gonna wink at the camera mm-hmm. for the entire time when yeah. we do it um so i thought that was a perfect way to like set tone and also to like set up suspense and yeah i definitely agree that the airport sequence um is actually incredibly suspenseful yeah. um the you know john carpenter's soundtrack really it works is. it to great yeah. effect 
um, just like yeah, like having that sort of like thumping mm-hmm. rhythmic synth going on. Yeah, so so he he really yeah he really does a, have like a, a keen understanding of how to like how to like build suspense. He does, and, yeah. And, uh, He's a master uh, of it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so I think like in a way some of that sense of danger gets a little diffused as the movie progresses, as things get more and more ridiculous, right. as it becomes clearer and clearer that Jack Burton, you know, at, at incompetent ass that he is, <laughs> still is ultimately going to make it out okay. Yeah, we um, kind of cling to his humor more as the movie goes on. Yeah, yeah. So so I think that that does, that does kill, that does kind of kill a little bit of the movie's momentum in terms of like, how invested we are in like the will they will mm-hmm. they pull this off? It's like yeah yeah they are gonna pull it off and it's gonna be a little goofy and funny too and also have weird random monsters that come yeah. out of nowhere. Uh, so um, so yeah uh, about that scene in the parking garage um, during there's like the the chase and then they attempt to run over Jack and Wang right while yeah. they're escaping and if you watch the scene carefully. It's easy to spot that John Carpenter shot the scene backwards with the actors performing all movements in reverse. Oh. The scene was then played forward and sped up substantially. Now, this dramatic shot was used used the reverse method. Of them diving out of the way of the car, you mean? Right. Wow. Yeah, that was all done in reverse. And it was done this way... For this, for safety reasons, due to the speed of the vehicles and the lack of stunt doubles. Wow. Yeah. So they shot the whole wow. thing in reverse. Wow. And this is a big budget film too. What yeah. the fuck are they doing not getting stunt doubles <laughs> for that shot? But it worked. It was a great. It, did. it was a yeah. great shot. No, that's really funny. Um, I mean, you know, uh, it makes me a little anxious knowing that now. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I've you know we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm a big stickler for set safety. Mm-hmm. And well, it looks like they were safe though, and they were safe because they it would have been safe. less that's safe to do it. The well, other yeah, way. Exactly. So <laughs> so yeah, I guess this is a good thing. Ultimately this is good. Nothing bad happened because right. they 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 worked around it in a way that made it more safe. Yeah. So pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Let's go into our next GSV segment. This one's called Boob Tube. So we don't have any nudity in this movie. No, we don't. Um we have a brothel. We There's, have a brothel. You know. Um We have a lot of like sexual energy. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, you know, a little, a little banter, a little mm-hmm. energy between uh, between Jack and Grace for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah, it's it definitely, uh, you know, although obviously Jack Burton's you know vocal cadence is is very directly referencing John Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurt Russell's youth combined with. Uh, you know how his chemistry kind of mixed with uh, Kim Cattrall um, kind of brought me back to like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher in oh. uh, Empire Strikes Back. A that little was, bit, uh, like, back and forth. A little bit of that, like, oh yeah, it's back and forth, and 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 you're a scoundrel, but mm-hmm. but also we're we're totally into it. <laughs> like we're actually totally into it. Yeah, that, um, I think that's definitely the kind of relationship that we have, and and going back again to the Western trope, like we're talking about. Kim Cattrall as Gracie Law, who 
Um, I think she, I thought she was really good as Gracie Law. Yeah, definitely. So, do you think that she fits the mold of the Hoxian woman that John Carpenter likes to pull from a lot in his movies? I mean, certainly in terms of just like her self-assuredness and her like you know being forward and actually taking a lot of action. Um, uh, I, I forget the aspects of it. And again, I still haven't had a chance to actually see a proper Howard Hawks film. Right. So uh, I, I can't necessarily comment on like <laughs> the direct relationship to that trope. But mm-hmm. um, uh, but uh, yeah, from how we discussed it uh, in past episodes. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's it, it feel it felt, almost felt like both um, both Grace and Margot mm-hmm. both kind of actually fit that bill a little bit in terms of the fact that both of them are are, you know, very sort of strong-headed, um, you know, you know, go-getter people uh-huh. that, uh, that uh, are, are very assertive. With their own agency. The film. And yeah, 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 definitely have a lot of agency. And uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting, actually, to have both Grace and Margot because they, they both seem to have a very similar vibe. Yeah. And I, I wonder if, if like... If 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 you know the script went through a process of doctoring, or mm-hmm. if like you know if if it went through like a script doctor mm-hmm. of some sort, if if one of the moves might not have been to uh, to maybe try to find a way to combine both of those characters because of how similar the two of them felt. Right. Um, I, I I I wonder I wonder if a drafting process would have resulted in that because I think like. I, I think like Grace is very well realized and very well performed, um, and and I really like the actress who played Margot as well. But it did mm-hmm. feel like Margot's arc was a little was a little underbaked for yeah. this movie, and um, yeah. you know we didn't really quite get. I don't know. We, we yeah there there wasn't a lot that I felt really sort of helped distinguish her that much from grace yeah meow yin too i thought i mean i i guess because of of the nature of the role or whatever but i thought that she was just sort of like a MacGuffin sort of yeah that was yeah that that was a little that was also actually a little tough and again this i i'm gonna bookmark this for the next section mm-hmm. too but um the fact that um the fact that we don't have any strong uh, any strong Chinese women characters right. in this movie, or any strong Asian women characters, that um, yeah, the like pretty much all of the Asian women in this film um, pretty much stick to being um, you know uh, damsels in distress. Well, we do have the guards. Um, the the prison guards yeah with, with the yeah with the exception of like yeah there's like that group of four prison guards who are women mm-hmm. um but uh yeah so there is that um but yeah aside from that it's yeah. just it's just those four prison guards who do some kung fu I, I do or, th- or, or or damsels I do feel like Miao Yin that was a wasted off opportunity because she is in a lot of the movie and yet yeah does she even say anything in the movie does she even have the, a line I I don't think so. <laughs> right? I actually don't... I'm not sure if she has any lines. Right. Or if she does, she maybe has, like, one at the end. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. So... That's... Uh, yeah. For how much screen time she has, like, yeah, it's... it's That was a little disheartening yeah. to see. That, um, yeah. Yeah, we didn't have more. But we do like Gracie Law. Um, that we do. We do John Carpenter like was pressured by the studio to cast a rock star in that role... But for Carpenter, there was no question he wanted Kim Cattrall. Mm-hmm. 
The cool. studio was not keen on the idea because at the time, Cottrell was primarily known for raunchy comedies like Porky's and Police Academy. Uh, she was drawn to the movie because of the way her character was portrayed. She said, and I quote, I'm not screaming for help the whole time. I think the humor comes out of the situations and my relationship with Jack Burton. I'm the brains and he's the brawn. That sounds right. That? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well said. Could not have said it better myself. I feel like... And, and, she, and that's the thing, is that like she, she nails it so perfectly. She really does. Like, she... Like, yeah, it doesn't feel like a stretch at mm-hmm. all. Like, she just, yeah, she kicks complete ass. And even there. even in the scenes where I think, like, her and Margot both have these scenes where it's like they're just delivering expositionary lines. And yeah. I feel like the way that they do it where they lean into the fact that they're doing something very artificial. Yeah. And you can tell that. And it works for the movie. Yeah, Like, I feel yeah. like it, it just, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like... If they had tried to deliver it straight or whatever, I would have been like, "Ugh, that's an exposition line." But they actually lean into the ridiculousness of it, yeah. and so and 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 they're the ones who are tasked with that. Like the guy characters don't have that role; it's them who do it, yeah. and they do they do a very good job of, of it. I think they handle the dialogue really well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things about Kim Cattrall that's always fascinated me is that you know she has this reputation as a sex symbol. Again, because she started out doing these sex comedies, yeah. uh, and in Police Academy, she was uh, a, very, it's a very raunchy movie. Uh, and then, of course, in uh, Sex in the City, she played Samantha, who was the older and sexually liberated friend of the four main female yeah. friends. Of, and um, then, was she Samantha? Or was she, she was Samantha. I thought I thought that was Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker. No, that's that's Carrie. Okay, never mind. I don't know Sex in the City at all. Period. I should not. I should not have even. I should not have even attempted to identify any of the folks from Sex in the City. So, okay. Yeah, well. Kim Cattrall is Samantha. Okay, I believe this. I now, believe this. So, of course, there's uh, been a very publicized rift uh, falling out between Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker on Sex in the City. Uh, one of the reasons being monetary, because. Uh, uh, Kim Cattrall felt that she should have been paid the same as um, Sarah Jessica Parker. And Sarah yeah. Jessica Parker thought that, well, she was a star. She doesn't deserve it and all that. So anyway, uh, that's all context for this following thing, because I feel like not a lot of people know that Kim Cattrall is, apart from playing like all these like really sexy characters yeah. on TV and film, she's a very accomplished theater actress. Yeah. And, you know, I she has... I don't want to take any sides because who cares? But in my mind, I feel like she's a better actress than Sarah Jessica Parker. (laughs) So I can kind of understand why she would demand equal pay for those types of movies. Yeah, well, well, and I think like, you know, again, I've clearly demonstrated how little I know about Sex and the City. (laughs) That said, I've always gotten the impression from what I've seen of it what little I've seen of it, that it is an ensemble show and that it's meant to yeah. be an ensemble show yeah. while certainly uh, Carrie's character, you know, provides a certain amount of quote unquote point of view for like right. framing devices right. and whatnot. Um, that, yeah, ultimately it, it felt like 
you know, a, a an ensemble show. And and certainly, you know, yeah, Kim Cattrall is is a fantastic part of that ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um and and yeah, that 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 makes total sense that she has these like serious theater chops. I think like yeah, the way she leans into the style mm-hmm. in this movie is 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 evidence of that. Like just that sort of, you know, that sort of uh diction precision that she sort of brings to those like you know choppy exposition scenes and and the way she the way she does like you know play very much into that like high artifice you know style Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's really cool every day on set she left at exactly 4 30 and then performed in a production of anton chekhov's three sisters oh that's cool katral remembers having to explain to the studio bosses who Chekhov was? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this role was perfect for her. Based on that alone. Based on that alone. That's fucking cool. She that's says, here's cool. a great quote from her. She says, my film career subsidized my theater career. If I only did theater, I would have had to waitress. And I didn't want to waitress. Fuck Yeah. She seems so. I, I feel like she's always been like a really strong, level-headed person. Kick-ass take names. I like it. Yeah. I, I like, like it. it a lot. Let's go into our final GSV segment. Uh, uh, that's problematic. problematic. So, yeah, this movie is about Chinatown. <laughs> It's about Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know and 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 what I would say to to the film's credit, um, I I I think that the movie is fairly well intentioned. Yeah. In yeah. terms of how it tries to portray Chinese culture and specifically like Chinese American, it culture. doesn't go out of its way to disrespect. Yeah. Them. Exactly. I think that like you know there's I mean I think there's the fact that like it. You know, it, it there's a there's a there's a huge diversity of characters and diversity of settings yeah. in in what it is portraying, right? Um, and uh, and and it seems to borrow from a lot of different you know pieces of lore, and I I don't know how accurate all of the pieces of lore and history that mm-hmm. it's trying to draw from is necessarily, right? right. Um, and also, again, I think that like. Uh, you know, it it is, I think, commendable that, you know, the the least expert person on screen is the sole yeah, white male the white hero. Girl, yep. And mm-hmm. that, in fact, like, it is the other Chinese-American characters around him who are much smarter, mm-hmm. understand what's going on, and, and he is the outsider who is helping them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that these are all things to the film's credit. That said, at the end of the day, it's still a it's still a film written by a white man and yeah, directed, directed by, by a white, a white man, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, it, when it comes to kind of doing that whole exotification yeah. of Chinese culture mm-hmm. and and uh, leaning the magic in, of the culture. yeah le- yeah leaning into this idea of of the culture's inherent mysticism mm-hmm. and especially I think like. The fact that all of the Chinese characters kind of buy into it, and yeah. there's actually that we don't it's like even no have, question, yeah, for them. like uh, so. So I think that 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 starts to 
be where the film kind of runs into problems mm-hmm. with how it's portraying the culture. Yeah. Um, so. What did you think about uh, James Hong's performance as Lopan? Because I feel like, again, I love James Hong and I feel like it's great to see him in such a prominent role. But I do feel like Lopan, the character, is is probably the character that most often for me runs into those Chinese stereotypes. Yeah, because I mean, like he is, he is, he is the entity that's at the center mm-hmm. of of the whole mysticism right, issue right. at the heart of the film. So I think, and that, in both forms, I will say, because well, that's the as thing. the old man, like that 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 caricature of like the sniveling old Asian man, I feel like is a very problematic Asian uh, stereotype. And then, of course, as the as the sorcerer, yeah. we get the whole like the mysticism thing that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, yeah, when when it comes to his his embodiment as like the old man in the wheelchair, um, that that portrayal is a little, is is slightly more nuanced. I do think that it is hearkening to to a bit of a, a portrayal about old Chinese men. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that said, I do think that James Hong, I, I think I think that the script and James Hong's performance in that particular form, you know, gives it a little. There's there's a little bit of self awareness to mm, it, right? Um, which which I think is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, it is still mostly playing into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, I think like yeah, when he's in his sorcerer form, like. Yeah, especially with, like, all that, you know, very high contrast makeup and stuff like yeah. that. That's, like, a little... That's that that that's a little more troubling. Mm-hmm. Uh, big troubling. Yeah. <laughs> a little big troubling. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think there's there's a little bit of nuance that's being drawn in there. And, again, I, do, I, I, I don't necessarily see it as being bad intentioned i don't think that you know i i don't get the sense that it was done you know with any uh you know any any intent of mm-hmm. disparaging or anything right. like that yeah. and and i think that like you know as as was mentioned uh well I'll, I'll let you bring up the quote but like you know i think the quote that you'd mentioned earlier is is kind of like the perfect example that like you know yeah it's there's there's like characters of all different kinds of backgrounds all of whom live in Chinatown. Right. And, and, and it's like, a, the, so, and as Dennis Dunn was saying, like a movie like this to be made in Hollywood, like is a very rare opportunity, especially then, but still to this day. Yeah. Because I remember a couple years ago when crazy rich, uh, Asians came out, everyone was like celebrating the fact that we have a mainstream Hollywood romantic comedy about Asian Americans by Asian Americans. Last yeah. year we had Aquafina's movie The Farewell, which was about an Asian American family dealing with grief. And these are all stories that are u- universal, but we just never see them about specifically Asian Americans, you know? Yeah. And and so this movie which was made in 1986, like it's really telling to me like yeah, obviously it it exists on this hyper fantasy level um and and it trades in a lot of archetypes and stereotypes but you know to john carpenter's credit and the filmmakers credit they really went out of their way 
to not whitewash the film. Like the film has Asian American actors playing Asian American roles. And like you said, the one white guy is kind of a doofus. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think that uh, from from what from what little reading I did, um, certainly the film the film uh, did get some criticism yeah. for its portrayals um, uh, from uh, at least one organization, and also there were other organizations that like collaborated with the studio to mm-hmm. do like, you know, certain, you know, like, a, like benefit screenings and, and stuff right. like that. So, um, so, so there's certainly been like a, a wide range of different perspectives, uh, just within like the Asian American community about like how the film sort of does its portraying. And, 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 uh, it seemed like, you know, multiple people were kind of quoted in the midst of all that as talking about that, like, you know, they certainly, you know, they, they, they were celebrating the representation as far as like, um, the, the, Chinese American actors getting right. work exactly. and, be, and having the opportunity to do the work while at the same time towing the line of not necessarily outright fully endorsing the film on its own in, in terms of its portrayals. And, and I, stuff th- like I that, think you so. can absolutely do that. And I think that, yeah. that that's a fair criticism for the movie where like, you can be like, OK, this is a really fun movie and it's great that you have you've given all this work to Asian American actors. But, you know, we can't just like ended that that that's not real representation yeah <laughs> you know exactly well that's the thing and i think and i think yeah for it for it to exist on that continuum where we start to see movies like you know uh uh the farewell mm-hmm. and and to really actually get the this nuance and 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 again i think that like part of why you know these more recent examples are so are so rightfully celebrated is because we're also finally getting that authorship Right, we're, we're getting we're getting Own the voices. fact that yeah we're getting the fact that the the voices are as much behind the camera mm-hmm. as in front of it. It's mm-hmm. not just us showing off our diversity, but rather you know lending agency to how the story is told. Yeah, and um, so you know yeah, I think that that's where this movie stumbles a bit is that the story being told. Is is being told from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, it's and, filtered. Yeah, and 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 I think, and again, I think that Jack Burton's character does show John Carpenter's awareness of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would guess. I would guess that that was it may, that maybe some of that is John Carpenter. If he's own meant way to be saying, a stand-in for the audience, then yeah, very yeah, much so. exactly. Like, um, like so, so yeah. There's there's a bit of an admission there that mm-hmm. that the that the white audience, you know doesn't know <laughs> doesn't know on? what's going on they haven't lived in these communities and uh so so i i think i think that there is nuance there and um and yeah so i think the the movie is fun and i think the movie is very smartly conceived mm-hmm. um it's just you know we <laughs> we 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 also as a society have moved on since then yeah. so so yeah i think it can be it can be uh, admired in that context but ultimately still called out also, again, I do uh, I do want to kind of reiterate. We talked about it a little bit in the last segment, but yeah, I think that the only women with agency in this film are white women. Yeah, um, and uh, again, they they kind of and and again, they're sort of very specifically evoking this Hoxian woman trope too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would have been great to see a little more uh, diversity 
reflected in uh, in women characters who are in this community. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it would have been interesting to see uh, a, a more fleshed out uh, Meow Yin. Yeah. And um, as much as I loved uh, and and other characters as well, too, right? That, as that much as involved, like 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 I think again, considering considering how both characters cover much of the same ground, I think that Margot's character maybe could have been rewritten as being somebody who is local to Chinatown. Right, um, right. You could have and, definitely and, and that, done that. And that I think would would be a good starting point for, you know, yeah, just adding more more of those perspectives, which again, John Carpenter already consciously made the decision to have a somewhat broad range of perspectives. But, you know, as much as I love, be yeah. as much as I love Egg Shen in this movie, and Victor Wong does a great job of portraying him, uh, I think that that's a role that actually could have been played by a, a female character, also. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, you could because I think it would have been badass to have like the old sorceress battle the evil old <laughs> sorceress. Yeah, you know? definitely. I could see her being a formidable force behind the wheel of the bus too. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Absolutely. But uh, but Victor again Victor Wong he did a great yeah really job. good performance I really liked him a lot. All right, so we're wrapping up uh, our discussion of Big Trouble in Little China. Just one little factoid for all you truck heads out there listening: the truck driven by Jack, the Pork Chop Express, and it's a Freightliner FLC one twenty. Nice, I, I, nice. I don't know what any of that means, but I'm sure someone out there loves that truck. And uh, if you have any thoughts about that, you can tweet us at GSVPod. Oh, uh, and and just to kind of bring up an observation that I brought up earlier, um, which uh, and and uh, just to, for further context, um, it was a uh, it was a, a tweet that I had saw written by Jessica Ellis um, on Twitter uh, at uh, Baddest Mama Jama. Um, and uh, I just wanted to kind of credit that tweet uh, that she, you know, she had made that point about um, how, you know, in spite of, you know, the many things worth discussing about the problematic things in this movie, mm-hmm. um, that uh, it is definitely to the film's credit um, that our sort of single white male hero is a complete blockhead and a complete outsider, <laughs> and 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 that the film does a good job of uh, of portraying him as such. Um, so I just wanted to kind of credit Jessica Ellis uh, for for my bringing that observation into this discussion, since it wasn't my original idea. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of another episode of GSV. Net, big trouble, little China. Final thoughts: Is it a bad movie? Is it a so-so movie? Is it a good movie? A great movie? The best movie? Where do you land? <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that the best movie was an option. If I had only known that the best movie, although, no. There's only one movie. Well, two movies. That would be the best movie, my um, But I am going to say that this movie is good verging on great for me. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, when I say verging on great, like, deeply verging on mm-hmm. great. I think that, like, it's it's a ton of fun as a comedy. Um, it's got great performances and a lot of great writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what holds it back from greatness for me personally is just a bit of the kind of 
overwhelming pacing. Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of... I don't know. I don't know if it could have used a little more streamlining for me. I don't know if it's just that I'm getting old, that I'm getting into these movies now that, like, exhaust me by the end of them or something like that. <laughs> maybe this is just, you know, this is just what being 32 is like, maybe. Um, but uh, but that said, yeah, I, I felt like, in spite of the film's brevity, that the pacing does... It, it, it felt like the pacing got a little more languid towards the end. Um, but certainly still tons of really great puns, tons of great visual jokes. Um, Kurt Russell is just such a sweet... It's, it's a very endearing performance. Um, I love... I love... I love this kind of, yeah, harmless take on meaningless machismo that right. he does. And, uh, and, and it's a great anchor for me into the film. And, uh, and, and it's a great gateway to just a lot of really, really great performances. It and is kind of like a, a, almost like a, without even meaning to be, it is kind of like a commentary on male fragility in a way. A little bit. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, yeah, touching a little bit on like toxic masculinity right. and that too. And, and yeah, and I think it does it in a way that's, you know, it, it, you know, I mean, maybe it's not so good that it defangs it a little bit, mm-hmm. because certainly I think we're at a point in society now where we have to acknowledge a lot of the harm of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. But for the purpose of this movie and the fact that it's clearly subverting, it's clearly subverting our big, burly white male hero and and sort of making him into the doofus that he probably more often is, especially when he's in the midst of a situation he doesn't fully comprehend. I think this movie handles that angle very, very brilliantly. Um, so for that, very, very good. Had a lot of fun. How about you, Orlando? Um, I think I agree with you. I think it's a, it's a good movie verging on great. It's only inches away from being a great movie. Yeah. Uh, and the things that keep it are very minuscule, but important, I feel like, to call out. Um, I feel like with just the, a little bit of tweaking in, in the role of, of uh, Miao Yin, for example, or Miao Ling, for example, um, just a little, you know, give her a couple of lines or something even. Like, just flesh her out a little more. I want to yeah. see that. Um, and maybe toning down some of the... Maybe making a little more nuance out of the, the Chinese stereotypes instead of just presenting them as stereotypically as they did. Uh, That aside, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, It's an adventure that sucks me in every time. I love, I just love movies like this where you're kind of tumbling into this fascinating world with your character and you don't know what's happening, what's going to happen next, you know? Yeah. You're kind of in the same boat, like, oh my god, it's like, it literally is like Alice in Wonderland, like, what's going to happen next and what crazy character are you going to meet next? Um, As far as, like, Carpenter movies go, uh, this is one of my favorite Carpenter movies, but he's definitely made better movies, you know? We've seen a few of his better movies here on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So I can't quite give it a great, but it is a really really good movie a really really fun movie and uh yeah a movie that i will enjoy watching more and more throughout my life hopefully fair very fair (laughs) well that brings us to the end of another episode of gratuitous sex and violence ned thank you for watching big trouble in little china with me well you know i just always remember what jack burton says in situations like this which is no, no, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I hope that you join me again to watch another schlocky masterpiece at some point, and I hope that you guys out there join us. And until then, you just listen to the old pork chop express here now and take his advice on a dark and stormy night when the lights crashing and the thunders rolling and the rains coming down and sheets thick as lead. You just listen to old Jack Burton here. Go watch some movies. That. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just you guys always bring the very best part.